continue today in this series called 52. Um, if you are new, we're definitely going to give you a little bit of uh, context. Um, I'm not going to go all the way back, but I'll give you a little bit of context. The inspiration for this series comes from the book of Nehemiah. Um, we are not doing an exhaustive study of Nehemiah, but we're going to be looking at principles from the book and how they apply to us. This is an Old Testament story uh, or book in the, in, in the Bible about Israel's history. The time in Israel's history, but also I believe it's a type and symbol. The Word of God throughout Old Testament and New Testament speaks truth to us from the Lord, and I believe that the book of Nehemiah is somewhat symbolic and prophetic also of the church. It's an actual historical happening, but I also believe it's a prophetic picture of the church and the people of the church. It is a story of redemption. It's a story of healing. It's a story of restoration. It's a story of rebuilding. Um, that happened in a time in Israel's history. It's also true that reveals the gospel. I believe it reveals the good news. As you dig and you look in there, you will find the good news of Jesus. And that now He can take a life. He can take our broken down mess. He can take our broken down hearts. He can take our broken down relationships. And when we move toward Him, He can restore, He can rebuild, and He can redeem. Because that is the kind of God that we serve. Amen? And so what had happened was this. The reason why the walls of Jerusalem, and we find the walls of Jerusalem broken down, torn down, these were walls that at one time were signs of strength and symbols of strength and God's favor and God's blessing. But because of Israel's disobedience and their sinfulness, and it was rejecting God, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. I will live my own life. I will become my own God in Israel for they forsake God. And then they were doing things their own way. And God spoke to them through the prophets. And he said, you know, if you continue to do this, the walls will be broken down and, and you will be sent into exile. The prophet Jeremiah, we have him specifically speaking at this time in history where he says, you're going to go into exile. You will be thrown away from your homeland, the things that you know, and, 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 and destruction will come from your enemies because of disobedience. And that's exactly what happened. And so at this time in Nehemiah, the Israelites are scattered throughout this region. They are in exile because they have groups here, groups that they are away from Jerusalem. Nehemiah, he gets word that the walls are torn down. They have been burned with fire. But God calls him to, as a leader to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And God is beginning to bring back the people. And, uh, and God calls him to be the leader of this movement to say we're going to connect and we're going to rebuild the wall. And so when we look at these principles of what happened in Nehemiah's time, and he, he begins with prayer, and that's what we've been looking at is, is prayer. If you started out by declaring who God is, you're good, God, you are awesome and you're loving, even though in the midst of horrible circumstances he was able to see God in a relational way saying, I want to know you, God, and I understand that you are good. It's like the words that we had this morning, that in spite of maybe circumstances, God is still good. He's still on the throne. He still has good for us. And do we believe that, or do we believe the lies of the enemy that say he is not good? And the, the, the lies of the enemy that come with shame and condemnation. And so there's this invitation to Nehemiah to, to work with a group of people to restore the building, and again, this is somewhat symbolic about a picture, too, of, of what was happening, and I believe what, what has happened in our own hearts when we do what God wants us to do. And so, 
confused. He gets word it's destroyed, and he begins to fall. And he says, Lord, you know, you are good, and you are full of love. And so we looked last couple weeks at the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to know God. And that's where it begins, this kind of, this, this, this beginning of rebuilding our lives, this beginning of redemption starts in a place of knowing God. The purpose of prayer is to know God. It's a relationship with God. It's not even bringing our list to Him, our requests, and those are important. We're going to get into that a little bit in the, next, in the coming weeks. But the beginning place of prayer is to know God, and as God said, it's to make Him known, but to know Him in relationship. We are created to know Him in relationship. He begins in the place of prayer. And then he moves on. During the prayer, he goes into a time of repentance, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. In the prayer, a part of prayer, um, you know, you have different components of prayer. One is knowing God. One is getting right with God, and that is the idea of repentance. So let's look at this key passage where we get the word, you know, the, the, the title of the series, 52. Here's what it says. This is the good news. This is the redemptive side of the story. So it's broken down. It's horrible. But God calls Nehemiah and says, so not for the second, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. And that is miraculous what God did. The people did what they were supposed to do. God did his part, and they miraculously rebuilt the wall in the 52 days. So there was redemption. There was restoration. There was a rebuilding in spite of all of the things that were going on. And we're going to see that up later on in, in spiritual warfare where the enemy was coming against them. The enemy was fighting against them. And when you are walking with God and you are doing what God has called you to do, the enemy of your soul will fight against you. And that's where we will find this place of spiritual warfare. He does not want you to walk in what God has for you. And God wants you to walk in that. And so this is the good news part. And so Nehemiah gets word, and we're going to come back into chapter 1. He gets word that the walls are, 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 are torn down and burned. And so we're going to, uh, we looked at uh, last week of verses 1 through 5. Now we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. We're going to pick up this, uh, this prayer and this time of repentance. Um, and, and I believe, again, the road to redemption, the road to restoration, begins at a place of prayer and repentance, knowing God and giving right with God. And so wherever you're at, God is inviting you into relationship with Himself. He's inviting you to live His way of putting Him as Lord and Savior of your life, Lord and Savior of your relationship, Lord and Savior of your every day, and, and that day ultimately is the place of repentance and getting to know Him. So let's go. When I heard these things, He said, and He just heard that the wall is... I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted. I prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, Lord, the God of heaven is great and awesome. God, this is how he begins. And this is what we talk about the purpose of prayer. You hear, he doesn't just go into, God, it's really bad. What are you going to do about it? God, you see the walls. It's horrible. What are you going to do about it? He says, God, you are awesome. It's bad, but you are awesome. You are a God who keeps his covenant of love. And those who... Love him and keep his commandment. Let your ear be attentive and eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your service to the people of Israel. Then you will see what he says. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. I confess the sins the Israelites who spring on behalf of the people. But look at what he also does. Myself, my 
Father's family, I confess the sin that we've committed against you. Verse 7 to the next slide. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you, that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, remember these rewinding back things we've heard. We were warned. We were told these things might happen. So he's, he's referencing back. He said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And so, long time before it happened, God said, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you do it my way, you will be blessed. If you do it your way, I will scatter you among the nations. And now they are seeing this come past, and they are looking around again at what was a symbol of strength. The walls were torn completely down. And so he's just being very honest. But look at verse 9, guys. Here's the good news. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Once again, do you hear the relational aspect to this prayer? This is a man that knows God. God is not impressed, guys, with our rote, seemingly religious prayers that we contend to pray. He wants us to be gut-level honest with Him in relationship. This is a man that loves God. He moves from declaring the awesomeness of God, the love of God, to a time of repentance. And that word repent, again, I think it's gotten a bad rap. A lot of people, when they hear repent, we immediately think of angry people on the street corner yelling at people that they're going to go to hell. Repent, or, you know, and, 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 and we can kind of have this very bad connotation on mouth where people in culture, they just hear. The actual word of repentance is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word that God used, again, as prophets to call the people back. He said, you're going your, you're going your own way, and it's a, it's a way you don't want to go. It's a, it's a way of destruction. It's a way of sinfulness. It's a way of you being your own God. But the consequences are horrible. Come back to me. That word, come back to me, do it my way. It's, it's repent and come back to me. Or take your sin. We see the prophets of old saying that. We see Jesus one of the first things that he says in his public ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so what is he saying? Come back to God. Repent. Come back to God. And so Jesus taught it right out of the gate. One of the first things that he says in his public ministry it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so it's, what is it? It's simply realizing my sin. It's really realizing that I've turned from God. I'm doing things my own way. I've become God of my own life. I'm calling my own shots. And it's turning from that. It's pleading my sin, putting my sin, and it's turning back to God. It's, it's the chief purpose, and we talked the last couple weeks, it's the chief purpose of prayer is to know God and have a relationship with Him. Repentance is reconciling my relationship back to God. It is a revelation of I'm going my own way and God forgive me, I want to go your way. I once again want to give my heart and my life to you again. I want to live my life your way. It's reestablishing my relationship to God through surrender. And we talk about that word surrender. 
It's all in. It's, it's not being left on the table. I'm, I'm all in. I'm unconditionally surrendered. It's not coming saying, God, here's my life, but here's a few conditions that I want to, you know, before I, before I give you my heart, here's a few conditions I need to meet. And I was saying, God, in spite of all of that, here I am, all I am is yours. At whatever cost, I will follow you. That he's in control of your life. He is Lord. He calls the shots. It's recognizing that I've veered off the road and that I'm coming back to him. Again, we see it in the Old Testament. We see prophets calling. So God, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It, it, it's a horrific story, but the ending... The prayer ending is good, and, and, and you'll, you'll, most of you will know this, but David, who is, again, he understood the relational part of God. If you read the Psalms, this is a guy that really knew God and loved God. These were not just slick little poems that he wrote. This is, this is a heart that was engaged to the Lord, and he wanted to please God and wanted to walk with God. But here's this man who God says, he is a man after my own heart. He has one of the worst moral sinful failures that we read about in history. Most of you know the story. He was a great king. He was a warrior king. In a time when Israel, the, the, the army was to be fighting, and the kings would usually go into the army in battle, and he was known to do that. He was a warring king. He said that he stayed back. So that was his first mistake. He was not in the battle. He was not in a, a part of the mission. One of the things the Lord wants to do is isolate you away from the vision and the mission of the church. And David, who was a missional king, I mean, he was a warring king, he was a wise king, and he was, um, he was astounding in battle. He had a military mind, and he understood vision, he understood mission. And at a time when he should have been there, he stayed home. And that's one of the, the, the things that the enemy tried to get is isolation away from the body of Christ or isolation away from the church, isolation from the people of God who will come around you, who can encourage you and strengthen you, and that we run together imperfectly as we are, broken as we are, but God wants us to do this together. And one of the things he does is try to isolate us. And when he isolates us away from accountability and from loving relationships, the lies come, and then we believe the lies, and we are... We are, we are targets of the enemy that he can easily pick up off. And here's David. Should have been off in battle. Should have been part of the vision mission. We have him one day, and this is a setup for the enemy. He comes out of his the palace. He's up and down. He's down on the roof of where um, his mighty men, and these are the people that were closest to him, their homes were next to the palace, and he sees one of his mighty men wives there, Bathsheba, and she is bathing Okay, and he looks and she's a beautiful woman and he obviously has normal feelings and he sees them. What do I do with this? And the enemy is there and he is in spiritual warfare at this moment and he should have run, jumped in a cold shower, a cold bath, whatever cold they had at that time, river, whatever it was, or all three, and just said, God, help me. But he begins to this subtle thing of calls his servant to himself, and he says, who is that? Well, here's the thing. If you understand, he had 30 men around him called David's mighty men. One of them was named Uriah. This was his wife, and David said, who is he? And I think the servant, who, again, servants of the king, you know, you have to be careful what you were going to say or do here. You could, your job could be over in your life at the same day if you 
didn't do this right. And so he said, who is he? And I think the servant, if you read the scriptures, he said, that is, that is, that is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, hello, McFly, you know who she is. I think that he said that. It's back to the future. It's back to the future, so that's possible. There was a DeLorean on the, no, I'm sorry. Back to the future fans love that. Um, to inquire the, the services of the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You know who that is. And so the next thing it says that he brings her into his chambers and we see this progressive step. Now he has these mercy, but I like to call them mercy ones. God always gives us a way out. And, you know, and Paul says that. He says there's no temptation, there's no command that God won't give you a way out of escape. So mercy is home. Let me, let me stop right here. Obey those signs from the Lord and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Obey them. That is the voice of the Holy Spirit that says, watch out. Don't lean that way. And so he's justifying himself further and further. I mean, most of us know the story. He brings into his chambers. She's pregnant now, and now he has a mess in his hands. And so instead of coming clean, again, this is another mercy zone. He could just bring Uriah home and he could confess and he could say, this, I sinned against you, I sinned against the Lord. And then once again, here's what he does. He brings Uriah home, but he says, Uriah, you know, and they're off in battle. And Uriah, he brings Uriah home and says, vacation, we're going to give you a little leave from the war. You know, you can see Uriah going, this is odd, we've never done this before, you know, where you're calling me home. And he said, yeah, you know, it's a little vacation time for you. Why don't you go and enjoy the weekend with your wife? And you know, he, he's, he's trying to cover this up. This is in the Bible, if you're wondering. You don't need to watch reality TV. It's in the Word, man. I'm telling you. It's crazy stuff in there. Real people. Real broken people like me. That's why I love it. So he's tried to manipulate this way. And here's Uriah, who is an honorable man. And he tells David, I can't do that. He said, my men are fighting. He thinks they can come home. And he's just an honorable man. He said, I can't do that. There's another mercy song where David could just drink on fire. But here's what David does. David gets him drunk. Have a few drinks. Have a few more. And a few more. Now go be with your wife. So he's hoping that he'll just stagger home and it'll be all good and he can cover it up and it'll always look like this is Uriah's baby. And, and so then David, he's laying down. He's kind of maybe passed out at the gate of the, the palace. And David looks down there all night. He's just like, you know, like a homeless guy out, in, you know, out by the, and he's like, "What is he doing?" Because he's honorable. He says, even, even there, he had the wherewithal to say, "I, I can't do that." Another mercy song. Then David writes a letter to Joab, who is the commander of the army, and he says, "Go into the heat of the battle. Have Uriah on the front lines." And when the battle is at its hottest point, have everybody withdraw from Uriah. It's one of them. Whenever I've read it a bunch of times, I read the Bible, every time I read it, it makes me think. It is such a hard thing to read. Puts his seal, his kingly seal on it. Guess who he gives it to to deliver to Joab? Uriah. The guy is taking his own death certificate to Joab. King knows he's honorable. He won't open it. Because at this point, you're thinking Uriah's going, this is really weird. 
something's not right here. He just came wants me to do this, so they do it. Heat of the battle, they leave Uriah out there. And the mother drives and he dies in battle. And it's just how horrible. So not only has this man taken his wife, but he's set him up to be killed in battle. And then Nathan the prophet comes along to David. You know the story. He gives David this parable that just sets David up. David has no idea what's coming. He says, hey, there's two guys in your kingdom. One had one lamb only. It was his own lamb. He loved him. He said, and then the other guy had lots of lambs, and he had you know, access to lots of lambs, and he said there was a sacrifice, and so the guy with lots of lambs wanted to take the one, the only one lamb and kill the lamb for sacrifice. And Nathan said, that happened in your kingdom. And David said, ah, oh, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan drops the bomb on him and said, you're the guy. This is what you just did. You're the guy. And in Psalm 51, we see David's response. Now his heart is laid bare. These are horrific things that he has done. And you can read Psalm, and I'm not going to read Psalm 51, but he the Lord created me a clean heart against you and you alone have I sinned. And he begins to repent, God, forgive me, wash me again, that I might lead others to you. You know, you have that come created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I see the wickedness of my ways. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't make excuses for it. He didn't say it was my dad's fault. He didn't say it was this person's fault. He said, this is on me. And I take responsibility for my sin. That's true repentance. That's why God said he's a man of my own heart. And why do we look at that story and why is it in there? Why did God leave it in there to encourage us? That when we truly repent, we truly turn our heart back to God, God here. So let's look at a couple of these scriptures. Verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to the spirit of prayer this servant is praying for you day and night here to the people that I confess the sins he has arrived, including myself. My father's family have committed against you. We've acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And so he recognizes. He's putting two and two together. He's saying these walls are all broken down. The walls are on fire because we sinned and we disobeyed you. We did our own thing, and he takes ownership of it. We live in a culture that wants to do everything except take responsibility for my actions. Not your fault. It's this, that, 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 that. And I'm not saying that our lives and our, you know people that have a horrible upbringing and that there's there's all kinds of shameful, horrible things that happen to people. And, and, and I get that, and I'm not trying to minimize that. But I think of Joyce Meyer, who her testimony. Most of you know her testimony. Who was sexually molested by her own father from age nine to seventeen. A powerful testimony. And she said later on, she said, I got really bitter. I, I got bitter. I hated men and uh, for, a, for a time. And she said, at some point, the Lord said, This, your sin has become your sin. I will deal with your father about his sin, but your sin has become your sin. And you need to take ownership of that. And so she began to repent and said, Making excuses. Well, if my father wouldn't have done this, then. 
And, you, and the God said, no, no more. This is between me and you. Of course, when she took ownership of that, she repented, and God restored and healed her, and redeemed her. Here's the cool story that then you can fast forward to this if you know Joseph's story. She was able to baptize her father before he passed away. Only God can do that. And so, Nehemiah's taken ownership. He said, we've sinned. We've done wickedly. We've, we've not obeyed your command. You told us, you warned us, but we have not paid attention to you. And, 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 and the consequences are before us. And he says, he talks about God's command, the commands and decrees and his laws. They are for our good. God has standards for our good. And we can see a parents of little kids and we're reliving this again with a five-year-old of certain things of why you can't run after that, why you can't grab that, why you can't stick that silver thing into that little hole because there's something that's going to happen. And as parents, you're kind of doing, you know, when you're little, man, you are like, quickly, you know, I mean, you are just all over the place. Because you see it for their good. They can't discern you see a bigger picture here. God has standards for us, guys, because He says, I absolutely love you. And that's what we have to believe. What the, the words to and Carrie gave this morning is we have to believe that God has our good in mind. He's not trying to remove our joy or our freedom. He's saying, absolutely, I want you to have the greater freedom. And there are standards that I have you live by. There's a holiness that I'm calling you to, but this is for the greater good because I want the best for you. And we have to believe that about God. And as a father, he says, when you're veering off, I'm going to convict you and, and, and I'm going to bring you back because of my love for you. And I think, again, we get it. We don't follow God's standards to get His love. And I think a lot of times we live that way. I lived that way for many, many years. God, I'm going to follow your standards because I want you to love me. God wants us to love Him and to know Him again. The chief purpose of the church is to know God, make Him not. God, I want to know you. And therefore, I see your love for me. I see you, that you have my good in your heart and your mind. Therefore, now I want to follow your standards. You see the difference? And then, verses 8 and 9, let's go to that one. And I'm going to close with this. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, again, he, he, he rewinds. He said, he's praying and he's, he's remembering. He said, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And so again, he's taken on his gift. He said, we're scattered. The walls are burned down because of our disobedience. And God, by the way, you told us a long time ago this was going to happen. And through the prophets and through God speaking and, you know, the people, the children of Israel, they're, you know, driving towards the proverbial cliff. And God's saying, hey, there's a cliff up there. There's a turn around. That's repentance. Turn around. There's a cliff up there. And the Israelites all along, and you see them, no, there's no, there's no cliff. I don't believe there's a cliff. The cliff does not exist. We'll go our own way. And God's saying, please, there's a cliff. Stop and turn around. I love you. And what Nehemiah is saying, you told us a long time ago, and guess what? We see we drove right off the cliff. But here's the good news. I love how this little part ends. He said, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter in my nations. But if you return to me, that's repent. 
and obey my commands, then even if your exile people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them there, I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. In other words, when you turn back to God, He's saying, my plans for you are still good. My promise for you is still good. The destiny that I have written for your life is still good. That is good news. And so He... He recognizes their warning. And here's what Paul says in Galatians. He said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. The man reaps what he sows. And so that's what kind of Nehemiah is saying there. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so he's saying, which one would you like? Destruction or eternal life? Well, when you weigh it out, God help us. If you return to me and obey my commands, I will gather. And what he's saying, I'm going to restore you, redeem you, renew you, and give you back what the enemy has stolen from you. And so that is place. So they're about to move into a place where they're going to rebuild the wall, and God's going to help them. They're going to do their part, God will do his part, and you're going to see this miraculous thing unfold when they're obedient to what God has called them to do. He said, I'm going to restore what you thought was destroyed, what you thought, and when Nehemiah, when he heard and they saw the walls, there's this great, I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is a heavy heart because they're saying, how can we ever rebuild this? It's broken into a million pieces. How could this ever be restored again? And also, when you return to me, I will begin to work with you. And we will begin to rebuild this thing, and I will restore and redeem what the enemy has taken from you. And that we can grab hold of that promise today. But the building blocks for redemption begin in repentance and knowing God. So, God, I want to know you again. I want to turn back to you. And I love what he says there. He says, even if your exile people are the farthest horizon, what is he saying? Even the ones that are, seem like they're too far gone. Even those ones that feel like there's no, no hope for them. That's why God wants to renew and, re- and, and I believe restore hope in our hearts. That if you feel like in your life something is beyond repair, you serve a God who is a miracle working, redeeming God. That you're not too far gone. Those loved ones that you've been praying for for years and years, they say they're too far gone. They're they're out of reach. They are not out of God's reach. We are not out of God's reach. Even if they are on the farthest horizon, horizon gone, He's always waiting. He said, I will bring them to the place that I have chosen. So to us today, he calls us to that restored relationship. And again, that's that place of repentance. Walking in the things that he asked for us, restoring our past, our shame, our guilt, our bad decisions. He's waiting for a heart of repentance. And that's that genuine, again, that genuine heart that says, Lord, I recognize you going my own way. I, I'm gre- I grieve my sin. I mourn my sin, and I see that that is sinful, and I, that's me doing it my way, and I turn back to you, God, says I will begin the process of rebuilding, because he does it again, guys, in a place of relationship. Look at God as good. He's not saying, get your things straight, and then come back to me. That's not it at all. He says, come to me, and we'll get your things straight, me and you together. I'll help you walk with I will walk with you. I will redeem and restore you. 
But we have to be intentional about forsaking uh, our being God, forsaking our sins, and saying, God, that is that is the old me, that is what I used to do, that is me calling the shots, and I turn to you, and I restore me. I repent, I turn from that. So next week we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to look at a few verses and we're going to dig in a few verses about the beauty of repentance. I believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts today. And I want to give just an opportunity um, as we close here. We're going to have a life down there. Uh, David, there's a CD. It's like, I think it's 4065. It's got some soccer worship music on there. But I just want to take just a few minutes today for us just to be alone with God, allowing the Lord to speak to your heart if He's putting His hand on something um, that you need to repent of, that you would search your heart. You know, David, there was times you know, day, one of my favorite prayers of David, he just, Lord, uh, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. I want, I want to please you. Search my heart. And so I, I, I just feel like that. Let's take a few minutes here, um, and you can you can sit where you are if you want to come and sit at the altar. If you want to come and sit at one of these front rows just to be alone with God. However you want to do that, if you need to go, God bless you. Um, but I'm, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. But we're just going to have just a time for a few minutes just to say, God, search my heart. And if the Lord has put His hand on something, and He wants you to just begin to confess that to Him, and here's the view. There's going to be an exchange of His grace and His peace, His redeeming power, that when we make that right, it's not groveling, it's not... You know, beating yourself over the back and then it's saying, Lord, I recognize where I have moved off and I'm coming back to you. And it's a joyful restoration of relationship. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for the word of God. Lord, thank you for the promise of God that we see in the book of Nehemiah that when, Lord, when we turn back to you, that you will gather us back. Lord, even those that have maybe veered off and, and then they're at the farthest horizon, those that we might think, they're, they're too far gone. There's, there's no way. But you are a God who restores, redeems, renews. And Lord, we want to come to a place of, of being humble of heart. David said, a broken and contrite spirit, God will not despise it. The heart that God will never turn away from more genuinely humble and contrite or broken before him. God, I recognize my sin. I recognize my own selfishness and forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would begin to search our hearts because you love us. I pray, God, for redemption today. Lord, God, for those, those sinful things that may be nagging our lives, God, those sinful decisions, maybe those things that may be hidden in the dark that we're afraid to maybe come clean, God. I pray that, Lord, we would just begin to do all in and, and just say, Lord, I want to be successful and make that right. I want to live differently. Because, Lord, you call us to holiness because you love us and you want the best for us. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people today as we go about our day and our week ahead, God, that you would walk with us, that we would walk in a right relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
and then continue to